Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Holy Ship Podcast. Today, we are so honored. We have Sheila Ray Guaguar um, with us today, and she is the face behind BearMarriage.com, which is the largest single blogger marriage blog. She is also an award-winning author of nine books, including The Great Sex Rescue and a sought-after speaker. With her humorous, no-nonsense approach, Sheila is passionate about changing the evangelical conversation about sex and marriage to line up with kingdom principles. She lives in Ontario, Canada with her husband, and they have two adult daughters and two grandbabies. So welcome. We are so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So just for people who don't know about you or like want to get to know you a little you a little bit more. Could you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Well, I, I've been sort of in the mommy blogger space. That's where I started back in 2008 when mommy blogging was a thing. Mm-hmm. And the more awesome. I talked about sex, the more my traffic grew. And so my blog kind of morphed into this Christian sex space, which was weird. Like no one ever thinks, Hey, you know what I'll do? I'll grow up to be the Christian sex lady. Like that's just <laughs> odd. Right. But that's where I was for a whole bunch of years. Um, and then in 2019, everything kind of took a bit of a detour or a 180, or I don't even know what you want to call it. But for the first time, I started to read other evangelical marriage and sex books because I hadn't read any up until that point. I I was afraid of plagiarizing. So I just kind of stuck to my own stuff. And I assumed, you know, they love Jesus. I love Jesus. We're all saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I read the book Love and Respect. And I realized how horrible the teaching was on sex. And so mm-hmm. it changed the whole direction of our ministry. Um, I have two other young women who work with me. One of them is my daughter. One of them is a statistician. And we did the biggest survey that's ever been done of evangelical women's um, marital and sexual satisfaction. And that turned into the great sex rescue, looking at what toxic teachings in the church have hurt women's marital and sexual mm-hmm. satisfaction. But then I was inundated with all these questions saying from women saying, okay, like that really helped me, but now I don't know what to say to my kids. Mm. So that's where we're are. That's where we are now is we're trying to help parents raise the next generation. So they don't have to need a great sex rescue in 10 years. (laughs) Uh, I'm curious. So you started off in mommy blogger sphere. Not everyone is just willing to talk about sexuality what like led you to actually be able to talk about that or want to talk about that? I think I'm just weird. Like normal <laughs> things that, that make people blush just don't make me blush. And I come from a really medical family and I'm really mm-hmm. comfortable speaking in public. And so it just didn't bother me. And I thought, well, if this is stuff people need to know about, sure, I'll write about it. You know, and my husband and I were speaking at marriage conferences and we always got stuck with the sex talks because nobody else wanted to give them. And so we kind of moved into that space without really intending to. It's just, there was a vacuum mm-hmm. and we we somehow managed to fill it. So, oh. oh, that's awesome. So the reason we ended up like connecting with you is because you have a new book coming out called She Deserves Better, Raising Girls to Resist Toxic Teachings on self, Sex, Self, and Speaking Up. Um how is this kind of like a continuation of the great sex rescue? What is this kind of, what topics is this addressing? Yeah. So what we did was we surveyed seven well, over 7,000 women for this one. And we were specifically looking at what did you experience as a teenager in church growing up? So what teachings were you exposed to? What things in youth group were you exposed to? And then from that, we were able to look at how those different teachings may have affected girls' self-esteem in high school, their self-esteem today, um, who they married, whether they married, you know, just how they're doing today. 
And so we could look at, are there certain things that are really prevalent in youth groups in evangelicalism or in women's experiences as teens in evangelicalism, they can actually end up hurting them, but also are the things that help. And so we're trying to thread that needle and figure out what is the good stuff and what is the bad stuff and where do we need to correct some pretty bad teaching? Because we went really off course with millennials in the youth group. (laughs) (laughs) And so how can we get back on track? Yeah. What did your um, research process for that look like? Like, did you come in with specific questions that you wanted to answer or was it kind of just like a a blanket survey? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is kind of, um, this is kind of technical, but you you always start with a hypothesis, right? That there Mm -hmm. are certain teachings that you think might be harmful, but you don't know if they are. Um, And so we had a, a number of different teachings that we knew were prevalent, um, I don't know how technically you want me to get, but we created operational definitions for all kinds of things like modesty and consent. And we measured them on a whole different variety of ways. But then Mm -hmm. we also used um, some question sets that were already validated. So they'd been used in other surveys to measure things like sexual satisfaction, marital satisfaction, Mm self-esteem, so that we had some validity there (laughs) and reliability. And, And then we were just able to see yeah, how these how these experiences, how these teachings affected women. Well, that's awesome. Um, Lydia, I almost went into a bunny trail because I'm very big on like, you know, defining the word and like mm-hmm. moving through that. And so um, we have kind of like questions prepared, um, you know, that we sent you, but I want to talk about how you um, started with like a word and, and a definition and really got to the core of that. So I kind of want to jump to modesty. Uh Um, (laughs) uh, because that's something we've been talking about recently Mm -hmm. and like, um, how modesty, um, is, I guess, talked about in the church, how, um, how people define it and like kind of where the line is. So, um, I'm just kind of going to let you talk about modesty for a little bit, like how those rules, um, like open up to predatory behavior, like how youth groups address modesty. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of tell us about your your findings there, because that's particularly um, interesting to us right now. And so what we went through with modesty was we we do, we um, tried to tease out all the different aspects of the modesty message. So we asked four questions that we call our modesty message questions. And I'll I'll see if I can remember them all because I'm not the survey person. Like there's, there's two co-authors on this book. So my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach is a survey developer. Joanna Sawatsky is the stats person and I write the book. So we'll see how much I can remember, but (laughs) you know, um, we asked, uh, a girl, how much you agree with these statements, a girl who dresses immodestly is worse um, than a girl who doesn't. And mm-hmm. we let the reader define what worse means. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a girl has a responsibility to dress so as to protect the boys around her. Um, uh, if a girl dresses like she is trying to entice it, a boy can't help but lust. And boys have a visual nature to take in women's bodies that women can never understand or that girls can never understand. So we were looking at all the different iterations. Like, are you worse if you dress immodestly? Are you responsible for boys' thoughts? Mm. Um, you know, all all these. And do boys do boys lust more than girls? So we were looking, trying to look at all these different things. And, you know, taken together, the modesty message is just the most harmful thing that girls were taught. Mm. It's mm. horrible all around. There are no good aspects of it. 
Mm. It has no good long-term consequences. You have lower self-esteem in high school and that self-esteem continues to today that you have lower self-esteem today. If you believe those things, um, you have much higher rates of vaginismus, a sexual disorder where uh, the muscles of the vaginal wall contract and they make penetration during sex really painful, if not impossible. Mm. And evangelical women suffer from this at twice the rate of the general population. Mm. And we were trying to get to the bottom of why. And we found in our surveys for the great sex rescue that the obligation sex message, the idea that you are obligated to give him sex when he wants it is highly, Mm. highly um, correlated with vaginismus, but the modesty message is too. Mm -hmm. And especially not, not all four aspects, all four aspects are, but the two that especially are, are the idea that a boy can't help but lust if you if she's dressed like she's trying to entice it and that boys have a visual nature that they can't help and so anything that makes boys seem threatening that is what really hurts girls when you make boys seem threatening so then sex is threatening right like my body is going to betray me my body is going to put me at risk because i am not safe because boys can't help it and so there is no way for me to be safe in this world And that is what we have taught, especially our millennial girls, Mm -hmm. you know, also our gen, I say gen Z, but (laughs) gen Z girls, you know, that is what we've largely taught. Yeah. Interesting. Have you seen a, sorry, Lydia, I'm just curious. Have you seen a noticeable difference between this upcoming generation, gen Z and millennials at all, or? Um, millennials believed a lot of these things in high school more than Gen Z did. Um, it's because we looked at generational timelines as well and the millennials just did worse on everything. Like they just got really the short end of the stick. Like my generation, Gen X, we did way better on sex education. We knew more about date rape and consent. Like, think mm-hmm. about this in the eighties in the night, we knew, we knew more about date rape and consent than millennials did. Mm-hmm. And that's not true in society at large, but it is true among evangelicals because so many parents pulled their kids back um, from public high school, from public sex ed uh, in so many high school districts, they used abstinence only education And what we found is that that is just not protective. Like, I think the, I think the motives were good. You know, they were trying to help kids not do risky behaviors, not make bad decisions, Mm -hmm. but it didn't work. Like it just doesn't work. There is no downside to giving teenagers good sex ed information. There is no downside. Like when they understand more words, when they understand consent, they're actually less likely to have multiple sexual partners than when they don't. And so we put all these girls in a bubble and we didn't teach them a thing except for don't do it or you'll get pregnant and you'll die. Right. (laughs) And and it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Do you think that there's still, I'll say like an evangelical, like reasoning or like or even if it's like a good thing to dress modestly or like a way to promote that or do you think it's like just bad in general and like any way that it's presented is bad Mm. anytime you link the modesty message with anything to do with boys thoughts it's Mm. not going to work well if it's Mm. anything to do with you don't want to cause him to lust you don't want him to look at you badly you don't want him to leer you don't want men to stare at you Anytime we link it like that, we make girls 
feel vulnerable and feel threatened. Hmm. And we make them feel like my body is somehow dangerous to other people. (laughs) And Hmm. that just has really bad long-term effects. What we do and she deserves better is we walk moms through ways to have conversations with their daughters about dressing appropriately and, and choosing, you know, clothes, clothing well with wisdom that don't have to do with anything to do with causing lust. It's just like, Hey, how can we be appropriate for the occasion? How can we not flaunt wealth? How can we be kind to those around us? You know, how can we maintain consent? Like other people didn't consent to see your boobs. Right. So like, (laughs) that's a good point. Yeah. Just like I didn't consent to see butt cracks on guys. So like, like this is a thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I think, you know, you're talking about how millennials kind of got the short end of the stick and like, especially when it came to like evangelical circles, um, in your book, you talk a lot about how youth groups in studying youth groups, you found that there's like a lot of line landmines for girls' faiths. What were some more of those that you found more than modesty? Um, there's, I think one of the big things that we did that was so different in the late nineties and early two thousands is that we defined girls faith as almost entirely about their hymen. Okay. So, um, if you read books that are written to girls in the nineties and two thousands, they're almost entirely focused on how to stay a virgin until you're married. And that's what my daughter grew up with. That's what Joanna Sawatsky, one of my co-authors grew up with. Like that's the, that's what you guys probably grew up with, right? Like you're both nodding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But that's not what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to, um, not a super conservative church, but just a normal evangelical church in the eighties. And what we were concerned with was like, how do we pray for the unreached world? You know, how do we make a difference in our city? Um, how do we do prayer walks? How how do we minister to the refugees in our community? Like we were really focused on how do we change the world? Mm. And that just was not the focus of youth group in the same way 10 years later. It became entirely focused on what are you doing with your body? And while, yeah, like we all expected to not have sex until we were married, it just wasn't the central focus of our faith mm-hmm. in the way that it was for millennials. I'm curious. So do you think that there was something that happened in that generation that led to them presenting like sex and faith to girls this way? Yeah. I mean, there, there was a reason. And and this is why, like, I don't want to be totally mean to the people who did it. Cause I think mm-hmm. they, I think they had good intentions. And if you look in the eighties at the rates of teen pregnancy, at the rates of teen drug use, at the mm-hmm. rates of teen alcohol use, at the rates of teen sexual activity, it was really high. Like it was higher than that it is now. And I don't think mm-hmm. people realize that. <laughs> Like it was actually worse in the eighties, early nineties. And so a lot of what we call the purity culture was a reaction to what was honestly happening in our high schools. And it was like, how do we make sure the kids don't have sex because everybody was having sex Teen pregnancy rates were through the roof. And so it was an honest reaction to what was happening in society. It's just that it went, it, it, it emphasized the wrong things hmm. and it really went off, off, uh, track and it ended up hurting a lot of people. Yeah. That kind of leads into another question that we had about, um, the no kissing before marriage, uh, (laughs) like dating rules. Um, and how like the, you know, whenever there's an extreme, like you always counteract it kind of with like another extreme, um, in your opinion, like what dating rules work best long-term? There isn't one. Okay. And it depends. 
It depends what you measure. Cause here's, here's the issue. Okay. So we looked, we looked at all the different <laughs> generations and all the different dating rules and whether people dated and when they kissed before they're married. Um, and it, this whole idea of not kissing before you're married, it was often sold to us as like, this is what Christians did in the past. Like, this is the real Christian thing. Christians never did that. Like yeah. your great grandmothers totally kissed before they were married. Like it just <laughs> wasn't a thing. Even in Pride and Prejudice, like if you watch Pride and Prejudice, they kiss as soon as they get engaged, right? Like this is a, mm-hmm. this is not a thing to wait until you're married. Um, if when I trace my family tree, like I I had relatives in England that were very very religious, okay, but they had three kids before they were married because they were Methodist. They weren't Church of England, so they would just wait till the preacher came through, right? So it's like it it just was totally different in the past, and this idea that we're going back to what used to be to reclaim some Christian ideal. No, it never was that. Right. It never was that conservative. And if you look at the graphs for who kissed before marriage, there's a huge increase in people who did not among mm. millennials that just mm. wasn't there for Gen X, like all Gen X, all boobs basically kissed before they were married. Wasn't a thing. Um, but I, I, when you look at what dating rules work, it also depends on what you're measuring. Mm. Because the problem was the only measure that counted to purity culture was that people um, were virgins on their wedding night. Mm. And you know what? If you tell girls you're not allowed to date in high school, then they are most likely to end up virgins on their wedding night. So it worked. If that's your only measure, it worked. But what we're trying to ask, and she deserves better, is, is that the right measure? Right. Because what if you also want to measure things like Mm self-esteem? Because self-esteem is highly linked to things like um, mental height, good mental health, getting good jobs, you know, just general well-being, right? Um, What if you want to measure whether your your chance of marrying an abusive spouse? Mm. What if you want to measure your chance of getting married overall if you want to get married? Mm. Right. And so if you look at other measures... Telling your daughter you're not allowed to date doesn't work that well. Hmm. And yeah. in fact, the thing that we found that works the best, not for every measure, there isn't one that works the best for every measure, but the thing that works the best if you're really focusing on emotional health, so high self-esteem, not marrying an abuser, would be letting your girl date, but having her choose not to. Hmm. And that's something that no parent can control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I think. I have like six rabbit trails going right now, but, um, (laughs) I guess I'm curious. So we've talked kind of like about like a whole like pendulum of things, um, relating to like sexuality, like virginity, like purity culture. How do you think that people should be like talking about this in a way that like, isn't idolizing virginity as like this, like end goal, like before you get married. And then also like without creating sexual anxiety, like What's like a way that like people in youth groups or even just like Christian parents can like talk about this? Well, okay. Let me, let me just go back to a couple of the bad things about emphasizing virginity. Okay. If you emphasize virginity and for instance, the book, um, when God writes your love story by Eric and Leslie Luddy, it, it tells a story of this couple they're in university. They're both virgins. They date, they end up having sex. And then it describes how she lost her most precious treasure. Not he lost it, only she lost it. Like they were both virgins. The Bible does not call call her to something more than it calls him. So this was 
often a shame that was put on women that wasn't put on men. Because the idea kind of is that men have this insatiable sexual nature and girls are responsible to control men's insatiable Mm -hmm. sexual nature, right? When you stress virginity, then as soon as virginity is gone, there's really no reason to say no anymore. And that's what we heard over and over again in our focus groups. It was like, well, I had already given it up. Mm. So what right do I have to say no now? Mm. And so many girls stayed in these abusive relationships. When we, when we create this all or nothing thinking, um, and, and we did it with kissing too. Like if kissing is as bad as having sex, like if you see kiss, like having sex before marriage is a terrible, terrible sin and kissing is just as bad. Then once you've kissed, there's no point in doing, in, in not doing anything else. Right. And so if instead we can talk to our girls about that, the goal is not to protect your virginity. The goal is to protect you. Mm-hmm. And so even if you're not a virgin and let's face it, a lot of girls are not virgins for no, like for, for very bad reasons, right? We mm-hmm. can be raped. We can, we can be victims of assault. Like it, it isn't even because we chose not to be a virgin in so many instances. So whatever the reason is that you may not be a virgin, that doesn't mean that today as a new day, you don't get to choose what is the best thing I can do today to protect myself and to act with wisdom? And I think that's a much better way to talk about it because our purity is not based on our bodies. Like I think the Christian ideal is that our purity is based on Jesus's body. <laughs> like what mm-hmm. he did with his body, not what we do with ours. And, you know, lots of parents want their kids to stay virgins until they're married. Sure. But as the mom of two girls who are married, I've realized now I am much more interested on the quality of man they marry than whether or not they're virgins. Mm-hmm. Like there are things that are way more important and I want my girls to know wisdom. And luckily they did. But <laughs> as as kids are getting ready to make those really big decisions, what you really want is for them to have wisdom mm-hmm. and uh, and to know how to protect themselves. We never taught our girls that. We just said, protect your virginity. So I think talking to kids about how, yeah, it's normal to have sexual feelings. You're going to want to have sex. That's how your bodies were made. But, you know, you have to think of what is wise, Hmm. right? And, you know, sometimes having sex can make you feel like you're way more attached to someone than you actually are. And so your job right now is to figure out if this is a good partner for you, if this is a safe relationship. Hmm. And so let's figure out how you can do that in a safe way where other things don't get in the way. And I think having those kinds of conversations is a much healthier way to go about it. Mm. Do you think these conversations, um, like we should advocate for those to, I mean, I, ideally that should take place in the home. Um, but like, do you think that these conversations are attainable within church settings or community settings? Yeah, I think absolutely. I, th- you know, I think absolutely. And that's the problem is that youth group replaced sex education with scare tactics. Mm. Everything became scare tactics. If you have sex, you will bond with someone and then you will never, ever be able to bond with your spouse. Right. Right. Or, um, if you, if you have sex before you're married, um, you will never be able to experience the real intimacy that you're meant for. Or if you have sex before you're married, you will get an STD and you will get pregnant and you will die or you will be rendered infertile. Mm -hmm. And the problem is 
every girl has friends who are having sex, who are not infertile, who are not dead Mm -hmm. and who are having fun. And so when our main message is don't have sex because of fear tactics, and then our kids know people that are not dead who are having mm-hmm. sex. They know that we're lying. Yeah. And we largely lied to millennials to scare them and it didn't work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think we just need to start telling the truth. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's a good point. It's also interesting, like just going off from what I know about like Gen Z and like reading all about this generation, how they're actually less likely to have sex. They're like less likely to go out and party. They're very much like not lazy, but just not involved in those things. And so, um, I guess it'll be interesting going forward, seeing how these conversations play out within church settings, community settings in the home to kind of once again, like advocate for kids to actually go out there and like meet people and not like not advocating for going and, you know, participating in like hookup culture, but at the same time, trying to promote a new, I guess, way of thinking, um, where like not to fear relationships because of, you know, what sex incurs or what they've learned through their millennial friends or family. Yeah. Um, I mean, the people who ended up married, happily married were people who tended to date. Right. Multiple people. Mm-hmm. So the act of dating, first of all, it helps you, it, it tends to help you choose someone well, because, y- you know, you have more experience with different people, mm-hmm. um, but it also just teaches you how to flirt. It teaches you how to talk to the opposite sex. And these are things that were largely demonized during purity mm-hmm. culture, right? Like you can't yeah. date unless you know you're going to marry them, but how do you know you're going to marry them unless you date them? Like it was yeah. very strange, <laughs> you know? Um, and so like dating, if you accepted a date, it was as if you were accepting a proposal. <laughs> and and so a lot of people just stopped dating. And I think if we can, if we can start saying, you know what, like hanging out with the opposite sex is a good thing. I mean, not at 13. Okay. <laughs> but but we tended to give the same dating advice whether they whether they were 13 or 23. Hmm. It was all just don't do it. Yeah. And don't kiss. And there was no nuance. And and I think teaching people, hey, you know, there's a good thing. You got to learn social skills. You got to get out there. You got to not just stay home and and stream movies all night. Mm -hmm. Right? Like you got to actually get out there and meet people and get get off your phone. That's like, (laughs) that would be a good thing to start teaching. And you got to get off of porn, which is a whole other thing. But Mm -hmm. you know, well, well, today's teens and young adults are not necessarily having sex. They're watching porn at huge numbers. So we've kind of swapped one thing for the other. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess like kind of going off that as well. Um, I feel like we do like hear a lot of talk about like, you know, if there's like this pendulum of like purity cultures over here, are people now like going all the way to hookup culture? Um, with like researching this book, what have you found with I'll say like, I guess like people and sex, like, is there like a pendulum? Is it like swinging? Like, is that like a natural outcome is hookup culture? Or do you think there's like a middle ground that's happening? Yeah, there, there is a middle ground. And this is what, um, <laughs> this is, this is what makes me unpopular on both sides, but, but I hope people will listen to me on this. Okay. So when we asked about whether or not you believed certain things, 
we asked, you know, do you strongly agree, agree, slightly agree, slightly disagree, disagree, strongly disagree. What's interesting is that for a lot of the messages, like the modesty message, or like the messages about saving sex for marriage, it's harmful when you strongly agree, but it's also harmful if you strongly disagree. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's actually healthiest when you're just slightly on one side or the other. <laughs> so the more nuance we can see in this stuff, the more healthy it is. So going totally to a pendulum doesn't work, right? Like you don't want to go to the hookup culture. Yes. You know, sex is something which I think is sacred. Sex is something which if you save it for committed relationship, that is better for everyone involved. Absolutely. But to tell girls that you are ruined if you have sex early, to tell girls that if you have sex early, you will never bond with your future spouse, Mm -hmm. you know, to tell them their worth is in their virginity, that doesn't work either. So it's like, how do we get to what is actually the healthy middle? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess I'm curious, kind of like two-part question. One, how did you talk about sex with your daughters? And then also in researching for all your books, has your view of like sexuality and like faith changed at all? I did a really bad job with my kids, which is, we laugh about (laughs) it now. Um, But I just was embarrassed to talk about it for like, I remember at one time, Katie, my youngest was 14 and she came home from summer camp and she said, mom, you just need to do the sex talk next year. Cause it was so badly done and you could do it so much better. I mean, like they just don't get it. They're talking about not having sex, but they don't realize that like all my friends are already having oral sex because their boyfriends are pressuring them. And I didn't even know she knew what oral sex was. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to keep this like straight face as I'm listening to her because she th- obviously thinks I'm super cool, <laughs> but I have no idea. I'm thinking this is my baby. And I didn't know that she knew this. Um, now looking back, I would have had that conversation with her earlier, Mm. but I just didn't, but she ended up okay anyway, because we, we were talking quite openly about most things and she knew she Mm. could talk to me, which was great. And I think that's the key. What I always tell parents is like, you don't have to do anything perfectly. You really don't. It's okay to be awkward. Mm-hmm. The main thing is just that your parents, that your kids know that you can talk to them. Mm-hmm. And I think I did that part. Well, I don't necessarily think that I'm told that I handled all the information dissemination parts. Well, but I think they felt that they could talk to me and that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing. Um, I think my view of sex, if anything's changed, I, I just think that I would have stressed wisdom a lot more mm-hmm. rather than just, um, yeah, the don't do it message that they were in the middle of with 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 purity culture. Uh, but we did talk a lot. Like the main thing we talked about was how to recognize good character in a guy mm-hmm. and how just because someone's a Christian doesn't mean they have good character. Right. And those those were most of the conversations we had. And I think that's mm-hmm. actually the most important conversation to have. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I guess kind of as like a last question, Do you think that the church is or has been setting girls up to be small? Absolutely. Hmm. Without a doubt. Absolutely. Do you think that that's changed over like the last couple of years or do you think that's like continuing to be an issue? It's gotten so much worse Mm -hmm. for the millennial and Gen Gen Z generations. Mm -hmm. And I hope and pray that it will get better for the next. What I always tell moms is this, there is no other place in society 
where your daughters where your daughters will hear that they are restricted because of their sex or that they can't do things because of their sex or that they aren't as important because of their sex except for the church they might feel that in some places but it won't be the head the heads the big wigs that are saying it and if it ever became public the big wigs would say no that's absolutely not true right but in church it's the actual official policy and so many of our churches not in all but in so many mm-hmm. and that hurts girls mm-hmm. you know we've now measured it it hurts girls and for the very first time that they have ever studied this for the very first time there are more gen z females who report to being nuns like have no religious affiliation mm-hmm. so n-o-n-e not n-u-n-e mm-hmm. or n-u-n just n-o-n-e um so there are more female nuns than there are male nuns mm-hmm. and that's never been the case before and it's only for gen z mm-hmm. so among our youngest women they are leaving the church faster than our men are mm-hmm. because everywhere else in society they're valued they're respected in church they're told you don't even need respect you only need love Mm -hmm. but you need to unconditionally respect all the boys around you Mm -hmm. wow yeah oh that's crazy it's it's, it makes me so angry Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you know and and i just say to moms like your daughter never has to hear that Mm-hmm. unless you expose her to it. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things we measured, and this is a finding that I really want people to understand, church attendance and believing in Jesus has positive, really good outcomes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So religiosity in general is really positive. It helps your self-esteem. It helps your marital satisfaction. It helps your sexual satisfaction. It's a good mm-hmm. thing. Except as soon as girls believe these toxic teachings, believe the modesty message, believe the, you know, the purity messages, believe all these toxic things, then all those things fall off. And mm. our girls would actually be better off to not go to church and not believe these things than to go to church and be taught these things. Mm. Like wow. for a large portion of our girls, church is hurting them, but not for all girls. And that's because not everybody goes to these churches. Mm-hmm. You know, there are churches that do not do that. (laughs) There are healthy churches. And so, you know, my big thing is let's find the healthy churches. Let's stop propping up the unhealthy ones. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's start going to the healthy ones. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how we can make real change. And do you have any resources other than your books um, and your work that would help people kind of like research this more or even like, kind of like deconstruct different parts of purity culture that they've learned? Oh gosh. I think, you know, even if you don't have kids yet, like so many women have told me she deserves better as like reparenting yourself. Like this Mm. is what, this is what I should have been told. This is what I should have been told as a teen. Um, And a lot of women say it's quite an emotional experience to read it and just realize how messed up (laughs) the messages we heard were not just about sex, but even just about your worth and how you're not supposed to have boundaries and you're supposed to die to yourself, which means that you can never like you, you have to let people walk all over you. Like even these things that we were taught. Right. Um, so I think, I think that's a really important, like she deserves better can really help people for that. Um, Beth Allison Barr's book, I think is really good. The making of biblical womanhood, just how the way that we see a woman's role, we've been told this is the way it always is. But no, it's actually a new thing since the 70s and 80s. 
Like I didn't grow up with this. This was just coming out when I was growing up. I was never exposed to the stuff that we hear today about how women just have different roles. Um, I didn't grow up with that. It's a new thing. And, and so she, she paints a really good picture of that, how, you know, before they used to just believe that women were less than, that we were actually inferior. And that's how they argued that women couldn't do these leadership things. But when they could no longer argue that women were inferior, then we had this whole theology of women just have different roles, Mm. but it's a new thing. And so I think reading that can really help too. Uh, And then if people want to connect with you, how can they find you? How can they connect with you? Yeah. So I'm at baremarriage.com. And normally I'm writing about marriage and sex. Just right now we've got this big detour into parenting and understanding what purity culture did to women. So um, at baremarriage.com, you can find our book, The Great Sex Rescue. You can find She Deserves Better. Um, You can find links to all my social media. I do really funny fixed it for yous on Instagram that people really like. Um, And my podcast, The Bear Marriage Podcast, launches every Thursday. New episode drops. So you can find us there as well. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. Thank you, Sheila, so much for a wonderful conversation. We're um, so glad that you decided to join us today and chat with us. As always, please feel free to shoot us any questions, comments, concerns at theholyship.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at theholyship.podcast, and we would love to hear from you there. Thanks so much. Bye.